Let's jump into Mark chapter 5. So, a very interesting story. One, I know I say this every Sunday. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, three of the gospel writers write about this particular story. Okay? Um, and, and so, let, let me just kind of back up a little bit, give you a little bit of context. Jesus and his disciples have been ministering. All of a sudden, Jesus says, let's wrap it up. We're going to the other side of the lake. So, he says, get in the boat. We're leaving. And so, they head out to the other side of the lake. Kind of, it seems kind of spontaneous on the way over to the other side of the lake. You guys will remember this story. We've preached about it a million times. The storm came up and they, all the disciples are scared. They think they're going to drown. Jesus is asleep. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm down. They make it to the other side of the lake, right? You guys remember this story. So this is what happens when they make it. So they get to the other side of the lake. The Bible says in Mark 1, uh, 5, verse 1, so they arrived at the other side of the lake and in the region of the Gerasenes, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with chains. When, whenever he was put into a chain or, or shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the caves, the burial caves, and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. This is important for you to listen to this morning. He's howling at the moon like an animal. He's living in the tombs, in the burial caves, and he's cutting himself with sharp stones. These are some important aspects of this man's life. Uh, the, the Bible also, may, maybe not in this part, but says that he was naked, that he ran around naked, no clothes whatsoever. So he's living his life like a wild, wild animal. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside and into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for them. And everyone was amazed at what he had told him. I want to pray. Lord, we just ask that this word would be like a seed planted deep in our hearts. I pray today that this word would produce fruit in our lives. I I expect fruit to be produced by the end of the service today. But God, I know that sometimes fruit takes a while to be produced. So I pray that this word would be planted deep in our hearts. It would produce fruit today, tomorrow, next week, next year. That you're going to do a work in our lives today because of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you about the man possessed by the demon. Now, the Bible never gives us a name for this guy. Never gives us a name, only gives us a title, and the title only refers to what Jesus had done. Now, this week when we were in um, Honduras, or this past week when we were in Honduras, they asked all the students to give a testimony. 
And so Gabriel, um, my son, has to give a testimony. And he says, Dad, I don't know what kind of testimony to give. I grew up Christian. Like, like I was born into church. You know, like, like, like he was a baby boy when I was, I was a youth pastor. Um, when he was born, I mean, I remember him being a little guy sitting on the floor of the youth room eating Band-Aids off the floor. I mean, this kid has done it all. You know, like he's, that's why he's got a good immune system. And, and so, so he said, what am I supposed to tell a testimony because we got other people getting up talking about how they, they were running from God and how they were, you know, addicted to drugs and how God set them free. He said, what am I supposed to say? And, and so we talked about it a little bit and we determined that all he needs to do is just talk about what God has done in your life. Because God's done a lot of stuff in your life. And sometimes our story is not defined so much by what we do, but our story is defined by what God does in us. So just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you don't have a great story. This man had a terrible story. He's full of thousands of demons, but he is identified as the man who had been, past tense, possessed by demons. So in other words, his story is based off being set free. Amen. So we're going to learn a couple of things from this man. There's three things I want you to learn this morning, and I've, I've been studying. I'm learning these three things that the man possessed by demons wants to teach us today. The first thing he wants to tell us is he wants to tell us that we need to be set free. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to write down is, is set free. I want to be set free. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. I'm going to go back up. Let's read three, three uh, or four verses real quick. Verse 3 says, the man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with chains. Wherever, whenever he was put in chains and shackles, he snapped the chains, broke the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Verse 5 says, day and night he wandered among the caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself. And then verse 6 says that when he saw Jesus, he ran to meet him and bowed low before him. So a couple of things I want to point out. Number one, I want to point out that this man was obviously tortured. This man was obviously in pain. This man was, was obviously bound up. He wasn't bound with physical chains because the Bible says every time they tried to put him in a physical chain, he'd break it. Instead, he's bound with a spiritual chain. He's bound with an emotional chain. And I don't know what's going on in this man's life. We don't see his past. But, but a couple of things I want to pay attention to. I want to pay attention to the fact that he's living among the dead. Think about that. Who has he surrounded himself with? He has surrounded himself with dead people. The Bible says he's in and out of the dead, of, of the burial caves. That's where he's living. It's he's, he has made his home among the dead. Some of us get bound up, not necessarily by what we do, but by what we surround ourselves with. We, we keep saying, I want freedom, I want freedom, but we keep surrounding ourselves with dead people. We keep saying, I'm tired of stinking like, like death, but we keep surrounding ourselves with things that cause death. And so this man is bound up. He's hurting. Uh, another thing I want you to notice is he screams out. Maybe he's screaming out in anger. And, and I know, I know the Bible doesn't say exactly what he's screaming. And I know I'm putting my own thought on this. So, so don't, don't take what I'm about to say as gospel. But just understand, I'm looking at this story and I'm trying to think of what I would be doing. Maybe he's screaming out in anger towards God. Why did you do this? Maybe he's living in the caves because somebody died. And he is... He is leaned into that. God, why did you do this? Why did you take them? Why is this happening to me? And he begins to howl and scream. And then the last thing it says is he says he cut himself. Why would he cut himself? This is a, this is a, you know, we, we hear about uh, people cutting themselves even today. 
It's not new. Obviously, it was happening in the Old Testament, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament. He was cutting himself. It happened in the Old Testament. The Bible says the, the prophets of Baal cut themselves. Why is he cutting himself? Maybe he's just trying to relieve the pain. Maybe he feels, he senses these demons inside of him. He feels the pain that he's going through, and he's trying to figure out a way to get rid of the pain. So he begins to cut and cut and cut. He screams, he yells, he cuts. He, he, he doesn't know what to do, and, and he finds himself in a place that many of us find ourselves. I'm not saying that the people in this room are full of demons. I mean, I'm not saying that. There's a couple of you I'm a little suspect, but, but, um, but I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, I am saying this, that we all, we all find ourselves in a place of pain. We all find ourselves at times in places of torture. We all find ourselves at times in places where, hey, I just can't seem to get free. And we want to put this on the drug addict. We want to put this on the alcoholic. But really, there's, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's, there's discouragement that we can't seem to break free from. And we look at the people that, that have the, the visible signs of addiction or the visible signs of chains, and, and we kind of look down on them a little bit, but really we're struggling just as much as they are, except our pain is not visible. Our chain isn't something everybody can see. And we try our best to get rid of our pain the only way we know how. And I want you to notice something. This man tried on his own to get rid of the demons and could not do it. So there's something that happened, though. The Bible says that he ran. He saw Jesus from a long ways off, and he ran, and he did what? He bowed down to Jesus. Was that the demon or was that the man? I'm going to tell you right now, I think that was the man. I don't think the demon is going to go to Jesus. I think it was the man. Listen, you're going to have moments in your struggle of clarity. You're going to have moments in your struggle where your eyes are open. And in those moments, we need to do one thing. James 4 says this, 4, 7 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. In our moments of clarity, we need to come close to God. In our moments of clarity, we need to submit low to God. James says, this is the brother of Jesus talking. He says, if you learn how to submit to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee. How am I going to get set free? The first step in my freedom is learning how to submit everything to God. Stop trying to get healed on my own. Stop trying to take all the pain away by myself. I need to learn how to submit my life to God. I'm not saying that counseling isn't good. You need counseling, go to counseling. I'm not saying that, that if someone puts you on some kind of medical treatment, that that's not good. If you need medical treatment, take the medical treatment. What I am saying is first and foremost, we go to God. First and foremost, we submit our life to him. First and foremost, we bow everything low before Jesus Christ. We sang a song that said, um, he's a name above all names. He is the name above Every attempt that we make to get right. And so we submit to that first. And then whatever happens after that happens. John 3, 3 says this. Jesus speaking says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. A term we use a lot here is born again because I believe, I, I love that. I, I love hearing born again versus are you saved, right? Am I saved? Am I saved from what, right? 
We ask people, are, they, are you saved? Have they been saved? Saved from what? The Bible doesn't talk about being a Christian as being saved. The Bible talks about being saved as something that happens in the end times. It's not talking about right now. When the Bible says someone becomes a Christian, Jesus says it's called being born again. And I love his terminology because what we'll do is we'll say, well, Gabriel, you don't know the, the issues that I've had. You know, my, my, my granddaddy, he was an alcoholic and my, my daddy was an alcoholic and now I'm an alcoholic. It's just something that's in us to do. It's a, it's a bent that we have. My, my, my grandmother was a, was a drug addict and my mama's a drug addict and now I'm a drug addict. My, my, whoever in my family, every, every um, couple in my family gets divorced and it's just who we are and we cheat and we, we look at pornography and we do these things. It's, it's just something that's in every one of us. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how you were born. Jesus says, when you come to Christ, when you submit to him, you get born again, you become a new creature. So it doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what your mama did. It doesn't matter what your grandmama did. It only matters what Jesus Jesus does in you. So we got to be born again. We got to submit. We got to be born again. And then, and then check this out. John chapter eight, verses 34 through 36. Jesus is talking about sin and he's talking about sin as though it's slavery. So think about that for just a second. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. In other words, when I start sinning, I become a slave to that sin. I can't just, a slave doesn't just walk out. A slave doesn't just leave. A slave is bound to its master, right? So the Bible says here, whenever I sin, I become a slave to that sin. That sin becomes my master. But it says a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but the son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Jesus puts himself in the position of the son. And he says, listen, there's lots of slaves out there that are bound up and they need freedom. And they cannot free themselves So they need a son, a true family member to come in and say, you're now free and set them free. So not only do we have to submit and we get born again, but there's a place of freedom that we need. And that place of freedom only comes through the son, through Jesus Christ. So if today you're struggling, if you're bound up, if you need to be born again, if you need to submit yourself, submit your life. No matter what's going on, if you're saying, Gabriel, I need the son to set me free from something today. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this message. We're going to have our prayer team come up and we want to pray with you. Don't make it weird. Don't make it hard. Don't make it difficult. Don't don't make it something that it's not. Listen, it's the demoniac didn't care who saw him. The demoniac didn't care who else was in the room. My man was naked and bleeding. He didn't care what was going on around him. He saw an opportunity to get set free and he jumped at it. And every Sunday morning we pray for people and, and, and we were in, in Honduras. And while we were in Honduras, I, I got to preach. And, and, um, and while I was preaching in this little service, I mean, the, the building was, was smaller than this section right here. The, the, the pastor had just started the church a couple of months ago. He's got about 25 people that come to his church. And I think about 22 of them were little kids because there was a mess of kids outside. And so I get up and I'm preaching to this little group of people. And as I'm preaching, uh, we're, we're going through the message and we get done with the message. And I give them an opportunity to come down for prayer and nobody moved. Not one person stepped out of their seat. And my interpreter looked over and he said, Gabriel, don't worry. They're just scared. 
He said, there are very shy people here. And I said, oh, I'm not worried. I said, we, I mean, we're going to make something happen. We're going to see God move in this place. And so I said, guys, spoken English, I said, y'all just go out and just pray for people. Just see if anybody needs prayer. Just go ask them if they need prayer. Our team, our teenagers, they just started walking out in a little bitty crowd. And, hey, do you need prayer? And all of a sudden, people begin to weep. People get, begin to cry. People begin to get words from God. Why? What happened? Yeah, they, they needed prayer. They were just too shy to come down. And this happens in America every single Sunday morning. There's some of us, we come in here with our chains. We come in here with our, our cuts and our bruises. And we say, I really need to get healed. But I'm too scared to go tell somebody. But James says that whenever we confess to each other, we find healing. Don't hold on to your chains. Don't hold on to your, to your addiction. Don't hold on to your sin. Don't hold on to your pain. Don't hold on to your depression and your anxiety. Don't keep bottling that up and carrying it around with you every single day. Find somebody, submit to God, drop that stuff off, and let's find some healing. Don't keep holding on to it. The second thing that the, that the demoniac wants to tell us, the former demoniac wants to tell us, he wants to tell us to be set free, but then he wants to tell us to be set apart. See, in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to skip a little bit. We'll come back to five, Mark 5. Matthew 12, Jesus is talking to a generation. He's, he's speaking over a generation, and, and he's saying this is what this generation is acting like right now. But in his, in his speech to the generation, he begins to give us a little, a little nugget of truth when it comes to spiritual battles and, and, and when it comes to individuals. And here's what Jesus says in verse 43. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there so that that person um, is worse off than before. That will be the experience for this evil generation. I I want you to notice something real quick. Just because you get set free from something doesn't mean that it can't come back. If last night my sons were outside playing basketball and I heard them out there playing basketball, and, um, and this morning I got up and I'm getting ready to come to church and I decide I'm just going to go out the front door instead of through the garage because I didn't want to wake up my wife. So I go out the front door, close the door, I walk around and guess what I noticed? My garage door has been open all night long. Every bad guy and trustful could have come into my house. And y'all know my fear. My fear is that someone's going to get me while I'm asleep. And my sons just almost let it happen. They were like, I don't care what my dad's fear is. I'm just going to open the doors and leave them open all day, all night. I don't care. And that definitely could have happened to me. So I'm a little bit perturbed this morning. But the idea is this. Sometimes, sometimes just because you clean out a house, if you leave the doors open and unlocked, if nobody fills that house, then any squatter walking by can go jump in and live in that house. How many times have you driven through a neighborhood, an old neighborhood where, where um, what's happened, an old neighborhood where everybody kind of moved out or it's kind of gone down and you see empty buildings or empty homes and the windows are knocked out and the doors are knocked down? Guess what? Those homes are not empty. Many times they have people living in them. Brett's smiling. He's one of my cops and he knows he has to go in those homes all the time. He's probably sending his dog in there, finding all kinds of people. 
People are naturally going to go fill up that space. They're going to fill up the space. Listen, spirits are not much different. Your depression, your anxiety, your, your, your addiction, your, your pain, your sin, your issue is not much different. Just because you get set free from something doesn't mean it doesn't want to come back. Think about how many times you've struggled with the same sin over and over and over and over again, and you can't quite get the victory. What's happening? What's happening is I've been set free, but I didn't refill the house. There's nobody living there. I've been set free, but all I did was remain in that freedom. I didn't try to do anything else. The fact that this dude's got a legion of demons, thousands of demons living in him, I wonder if he hasn't been set free multiple times. But those demons just keep coming back, and every time they come back, they bring more and more and more of their friends. There's another story in the Bible in the book of Matthew, and it tells the same exact story. So so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story. Now, we talked to you a couple of weeks ago. How do I trust the New Testament? Even though there's some stories that seem a little bit different. And I talked to you about divergent details. So when I was in, when I was in Honduras, um, uh, I, I, was, I was at, well, I was at the, I was at the altar. I, I, we were praying for people. I was, I was sitting in the pew, actually, when people were being prayed for. And the pastor walked up and began to pray for a man. And I felt in my heart, I need to go pray for this man. So I went over and I began to pray for this man. And after it was all said and done, it, it turns out the man had tried to commit suicide just a couple of days before. He didn't want to respond to the altar. He was maybe too embarrassed to respond to the altar. I don't know what was going on, but he didn't want to get prayer. But we sought him out, and thank God we did. He was going through some real mental issues. He had just tried to commit suicide, right? Now, if I told you that, you might would just take my story and say there was only one man. There was only one man that I prayed with. But in reality, I prayed with with dozens and dozens of people throughout my trip. But if that's the one story that has impact on me, that may be the only one I tell you. That's the only one you know about. So so you see, just because I tell you about one man doesn't mean there weren't other people that God prayed for. So Matthew, Matthew tells us that there were two demoniacs. Mark only mentions one. Luke only mentions one. Matthew mentions two. Now, why is it that Mark only mentions one of the demoniacs because there's only one of them that ended up at the feet of Jesus. What happened to the other demoniac? The other demoniac might have gotten free and they decided that freedom was good enough and I'm going to go back to my old life. He might have gotten free, but he's been free before and he doesn't want to commit to anything. He just wants to get that freedom. He wants to get that taste of freedom and then he's jetting right back where he used to be. And we do this every Sunday in church. I, I've seen this my whole life. I've been, a, I've, been, um, I've been preaching since I was 15 years old, I think, 15 or 16 years old. I've been preaching in churches and, 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 and telling people the gospel. I've seen this all the time is we come into church and we want to feel good and then we want to go home and live our life the way we've been living our life, Monday through Saturday. The way we lived our life that got us to a point where we felt bad. That got us to a point where we were bound up. That got us to a point where we were addicted. But then we show up on Sunday morning, and they're worshiping, and they're praying, and they're preaching, and we feel so good, but that's as far as we want to go. And then we step right back into our old lifestyle, and we put ourselves in this cycle where we can't ever get free. We are stuck We're stuck in a cycle of freedom and bondage and freedom and bondage. And we can't ever get ourselves to a place 
where we can just serve Jesus. So the man says this, he, he says we need to be set free, but then we also need to be set apart. And, and that word set apart um, in, in the Bible, there's a term called sanctified or sanctification. And maybe you've heard that term and it's a big spiritual, you know, religious word that all it means is to be set apart. It means to be set apart. So when the Bible says, be holy as I am holy, what it means is it means to be sanctified, to be set apart like I am set apart. So that's why we see in the Bible, in the Old Testament, all those weird laws about you can't mix clothes and you can't get tattoos and you can't eat pigs or whatever the case was. There was a lot. I just snorted uh, like a pig. There's a lot of there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that we think this is pretty weird. Listen, the reason God put those in there was not because God just has a bunch of weird rules about what clothes we wear. He wanted us to be set apart. He wanted the Israelites to be set apart from this, from the countries around them. Okay? He said, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be different from all those other countries. Peter talks to us about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. And here's what Peter says. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Didn't we just talk about that? Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy or be sanctified or be set apart in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. So how can I, how can I, I want to be set free. I get set free. I come, I pray, I get set free. I feel great. I feel good. But now what do I need to do? Now I need to fill this back up. The Bible says, Peter speaking in another, in in the book of Acts, Peter says, you need to uh, repent. You need to believe. You need to be baptized. And then he says, you need to be, uh, you need to receive or be filled with the spirit of God. You need to allow the spirit of God to live in you. Right. And and so what we read here is we see Peter saying, we got to be set apart. We got to be holy. This man gets set free, but something's got to change. So let's look at what he did to set himself apart from his old life. In, in Mark, going back to Mark, let's look at verse, verse 15 of chapter 5. It says, A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. This is the key part right here. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and everybody else was scared. Isn't it interesting? To, it's, it's, this is crazy to me. Everybody else gets scared when God does something big in your life. When God transforms your life, Other people get scared because other people are so comfortable with your mess that whenever God fixes something in you, it throws their system off. Because now all of a sudden, you're telling them about what you did. You're telling them about sitting at the feet of Jesus. You're telling them about listening to his words. And they don't want to hear that because your salvation, your freedom, your sanctification is now disrupting their lifestyle. Have you ever noticed that whenever you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, whenever you got born again, that there were some friends that just didn't want to hang out with you anymore? There were some family members that didn't really want to talk to you anymore? Chances are your salvation and your freedom and your sanctification, what happened? It began to rub them the wrong way. So I want to look at this man real quick. Number one, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That represents the presence. We need to put ourselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. We need to pray. We need to worship. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. It says he was fully clothed. He had accepted a new identity. Listen, for some of us, 
for some of us, here's what we do, is we get set free. And like this man's been running around naked. His identity is, I bet everybody in town knew him as the old naked guy, right? You know that old naked guy over there, right? That was his identity. That was his identity. Now all of a sudden he's fully clothed. Now we read in the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son comes in and he's covered in mud and and, and pig mess. And what does the father do? The father says, put a new robe on him. Why? Because I'm changing his identity. I'm covering all of this mess that he's been in. And for some of us, God wants to cover us. Jesus wants to cover up all of our mess. He wants to cover up our nakedness. He wants to cover up all of our scars where we've been cutting ourselves. He wants to cover all of that up. And we need to learn how to accept that new identity. You are no longer your own. You are bought at a price. The Bible says that we are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. So therefore, we don't act like the world. We don't do business like the world does business. Right? Jake, we don't coach like the world coaches. Oscar, we don't run a restaurant like the world runs a restaurant. We've got to run life. We've got to do life as citizens of heaven. We've got a new identity. We need to put that identity on. We need to walk in that identity. So sometimes whenever you're trying to get set free from something and you feel like God set you free and you're saying, now I got to get set apart. I got to be different. I can't go back to that old lifestyle. I'm tired of this old lifestyle. Listen, accept this new identity. Here's what, I, here's what it might mean. It might mean this, that if you've got this old, um, this old chain that you've been holding on to and that old chain was alcoholism and, and you're drunk every night and you're abusive to your family and, and you're mean or whatever the case is, you're dangerous and, and, and all of a sudden you get set free. You've put on a new identity. That new identity says, I'm not going out to the bar every Friday night. I'll do something else, but I'm not going to the bar. I'm not putting myself in a position where I can slip back into that old lifestyle. Does does that make sense? If if you've got a drug addiction and you've got somebody that you're buying from, if your drug addiction is not illegal drugs, maybe your drug addiction is prescription drugs, then you've got to put yourself in a position where you're not going to slip back. Because why? Because citizens of heaven don't steal pills from their grandma. Citizens of heaven lean on God, not lean on the pills. If you've got an addiction to, to pornography or you've got a problem with, with an adultery, then listen, a citizen of heaven, a citizen of heaven might turn off the Internet. A citizen of heaven might say from now on, I'm not going to be alone with a woman or alone with a man. I'm going to have someone with me. Why? Because I've got to protect this new identity. I've been running around bleeding and naked and howling at the moon. And now I've been given a new identity and I want to wear it and I want to walk in it. I got to hurry up. The next thing he did, I'm assuming this one, because he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's fully clothed. I'm assuming he's listening to Jesus teach. He's listening. He is consuming the word of God. You want to be set apart? Consume God's word. Gabriel, I don't know how to live. You you talk about being a citizen of heaven. I don't know how to live like that. Consume God's word. Let God's word speak to you. And I promise you, super practical moment here. If you need help to understand God's word, please text me or call me. Please get yourself into a small group. Whenever we kick them back off again, get yourself around someone that can teach you what God's word is trying to say. But don't you dare go through life without God's word and expect to be changed. We need his word. 
Pastor Jonathan sang a song that, that was talking about a firm foundation. That's from the verse in the Bible where Jesus says, My words are a rock that you build your house on. The, the other thing that it says is he's surrounded. He's surrounded by people. Now, he's surrounded by a bunch of... Uh, uh, well, I can't say any of those words. He's surrounded by some people that were not good, right? Because they were scared. They were scared. And so he's surrounded by these people that are scared. But then the Bible also says that Jesus was there with his disciples. So he's also surrounded by disciples. He put himself in a position where he's in the presence of God. He put himself in a position where he's got a new identity. He put himself in a position to consume the word of God. And he also put himself in a position to be surrounded by the disciples of God. One of the things we need, we need to get out of all those dead things and put ourselves in a place where there's people around us. So today at the end of service, um, we're going to have lunch for anybody that wants to join our church, that wants to put yourself in this family. And even if you didn't RSVP, I encourage you, come to the meal. If you want to learn more about the church or you want to join our family, put yourself in a position of a disciple where you can learn and grow and have people around you. I didn't mean to make that a commercial. It just happened to flow naturally. I love the fact that the result is a sound mind. I love the fact that the result of all of this, he was set free and he was set apart, and the result is he's got a sound mind. The one thing this guy's been missing is a sound mind. That's the one thing he needed. Listen, I can go to heaven, right, with no arms and no legs and cancer and and missing whatever, but I want a sound mind. I want a mind that knows Christ. I, I want a heart that knows my father. And so it's important for us to have the sound mind. And that's what, that's what happens. So the third thing is this, we got to be set free. We got to be set apart. And if this man was going to tell you anything today, he'd tell you, you need to be sent out. You need to be sent out. And, and, and let me just, let me just mention here. I believe before I got into this message, I believe that in this room, there are people that need to be set free. I believe, I believe some of us in the room need to be set free from something. I believe that some of us have been set free, but we're tired of that cycle of always having to be set free. And so we are in a place where we need to be set apart, right? We need to become disciples. And then I think there's a third group of people in the room right now that you have been set free and you've been set apart. And now it's time for you to be sent out. It's time for you to be sent out. Um, look, at, look at Mark chapter 5. This is the last time we'll look at Mark 5. I'm almost done with the message. Verse 18, it says, As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Isn't it interesting that the people of the area begged Jesus to leave, and he said yes to them, but when the demon-possessed, the former demon-possessed man begs to go with him, he says no. Jesus said no. Go to your home, to your family, and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So the man wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no. Jesus said, instead, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. There's a, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, how many of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, but, but when I was younger, Star Wars was a big deal, right? Star Wars was a big deal. And I remember people used to collect Star Wars toys. Now, I used to have Star Wars toys all the time. Loved Star Wars toys, and I played with Star Wars toys. My brother, who's a lot older than me, he would make all the ships. Like, he had the X-Wing and the Millennium Falcon, and that nerd would hang them from the ceiling in his room, right? So he could look at them. Not me. 
I would take them off the ceiling of his room, and I would take them in the backyard, and I'm playing with those jokers. I mean, I've got Han Solo and Chewbacca, and they're playing, and they're fighting the bad guys, and, and, and they're doing all the things. And, and you know what? I ended up losing the lightsabers. I lost all the capes. I, I lost all the weapons. They were all gone. And, and I broke the Millennium Falcon, and I broke the X-Wing, and, and, and all those things happened. And Michael, my brother, would get very upset at me, but I just wanted to play with the toys. They were toys. And there are people today that still own, I, I, when you look up, um, go to YouTube and look up like people with weird collections, you can look up people with Star Wars collections and they'll have whole rooms dedicated to Star Wars. And you know what they've got? They've got all the Star Wars toys still in the original packaging. They've never been opened. They are clean and they're safe and they're behind glass and they're on a shelf and anybody can walk in and look at them because they think one day it's going to be super valuable. And so they're going to they're going to hold on to all these toys. But when the toys were made, what was the purpose of the toy? It wasn't a trick question. What's the purpose of the toy to be played with, to be played with? So now all of a sudden, poor Han Solo, he's an adventurer. He's a guy, he's a dude, like he wants to go shoot somebody. That's all he cares about. And my man is stuck in a piece of plastic behind a glass uh, wall on a shelf somewhere. His purpose is to be played with. But a collector put him on a shelf because he's clean and safe on the shelf. And what we do a lot of times is we show up to God And we want to get saved. But God didn't set you free and he didn't sanctify you to put you on a shelf and keep you clean and safe. He put a purpose inside of you. And it's not just to sit on soft chairs. It's not just to sit in air conditioning. He put a purpose inside of you to touch somebody's life, to minister to somebody. And if we want to just sit around and play church, we can do that. And this city will never, been re- will never be reached for Christ. Your family will never be reached for Christ. Or, or we can follow what the man that was full of demons did. And we can allow ourselves to be sent out and fulfill our purpose. He wants us to go out. He wants us to touch people's lives. He wants us to find that our city is full of tormented people. He wants us to find that our city is full of people that are addicted. He wants us to find that our neighbors, our neighbors are hurting and broken. He wants us to know that our family members are hurting and broken and they need somebody. They need somebody to fulfill their purpose. Being clean and safe has never changed the world. You look at a woman like Mother Teresa and and one of the things that Mother Teresa did is she could have lived it clean and safe And stayed in the convent and just been a nun. But instead she went to the streets of Calcutta. She got dirty. But here's the problem. Some of us get so comfortable at the feet of Jesus. And in the crowd of disciples. That we forget that he's called us to go. This man was sent to somebody. He was sent first to his family in his hometown. I want you to notice something. God didn't send him to China. God didn't send him to Africa. God didn't send him to the United States. God said, just just start off with your family. Just start off with your hometown. Now, he ends up, the Bible says he went to the, the, the ten cities. There was an area that was like ten cities all clumped together. And my man was like, I'm witnessing to everybody. I'm going all over the place. And he did, and he did an awesome job at that. But I want you to notice the first person that God sent him to was just to his family. Last week, Pastor Nathan preached a message about influencing the culture around you. It's not about, not everybody has to go to Honduras on a mission trip. Sometimes your greatest mission trip is just going to the YMCA. That could be your greatest mission trip. 
For some of you, your greatest missions trip is just going to school. That's all you got to do. Just go to school, go to work, go to the gas station, and just be a witness for Jesus Christ. Just tell what Jesus has done. Remember the story of the testimony. It doesn't have to be special. It just has to be, all this man did was just tell people what God had done in his life. He didn't know Isaiah. He didn't know the book of Genesis. He just told people, I was full of devils, and now I'm set free. I was naked and bleeding and broken and tortured, and now I'm clothed and I have a sound mind. And there was one person that fixed me, and that's Jesus. That's all he did. I want to give you one. Let me give you two stories. Will you all hang out with me for two more stories? All right. If you get up and leave, I'll call you out. All right. So one story. I'm preaching in this little, little church plant. Like I said, this is it. This, this may even be bigger than the church we were in. Was it, Gabriel? It was small. It was tiny. And so I get up. And this guy just started this church. And he's been sent out from the big church that we were ministering in. And he's just started this church a few months ago. And he's got his, got his group up to about 25 people. And he's excited and he's pumped up. And the dude's working hard. I mean, that day we went door to door, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. And there was this one family that really wanted to come. That pastor drove all the way to their house, picked them up in his personal car, brought them to church that night, and then took them home after. I mean, I mean the guy was dedicated to the job. And I'm preaching this and I'm talking about how we got to be missions minded. I talk about how you got to reach your community or whatever. And I'm, I'm preaching this same message, kind of. I've, I've changed it some, but I'm kind of preaching the same message. And, and then we get to the end of the message, and I felt really strong we need to pray for the pastor. So we begin to pray for the pastor. And, and, and so we, we're laying hands on the pastor, and we're just believing God's going to use him in that little town. And we're believing God's going to save souls and grow his church, and lives are going to be transformed. And then all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to, to tell him there's a verse in Peter where, where Peter. Peter's talking about the Old Testament writers, and Peter says that they were carried on by the wind of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've preached that here before, and and what that word means is is it means to be carried on means to have like the sails of a ship opened, and the wind blows them and carries them places. And so um, I begin to pray over this pastor. I tell him that, and I said, and God wants you to know that that he's going to take you places you've never been. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I said, oh, no, what did I just say? I've just told this man he's leaving and these poor church people only been here like three months and now I'm telling them their pastor's going to leave. I'm an idiot. And I said, I've surely missed God on that one. And so I said, and he wants to do new things through you that he's never done before. Like I just tried to throw something else in there because I got scared in my flesh about what I had just said. So we get done praying and I think you are an idiot. And I walk over to the side. I try to get as far away from the pastor as I can. Hopefully he didn't hear me. And the pastor says, can I have the microphone? He gets the microphone and he says, he looks over at me and he points at me. He says, pastor, I want you to know something. I love missions too. And he says, and I have a heart for Pakistan. And he said, my wife and I have been praying about should we leave and be missionaries to Pakistan. And we didn't know if we should or not. But when you said God would take us places we've never been, he said, I know now that my calling is to go to Pakistan. And I know now that I'm here to set this church up, to build up leadership and to leave it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to give you one more story. And it's not my story. There's a group of missionaries, and we support, we support one missionary. You, you support one missionary from this group called Live Dead. And Live Dead's whole goal and focus is to go 
into the parts of the world where they hate Christians. Places like Iran and Iraq. Places where they don't even tell us what country they're in. I got a letter from one of our, from our live dead missionary the other day. And she said, she said, thank you so much for supporting me in my, um, what did she call it? Uh, South, um, Southwest Asia or something. She used some general term because she can't even write in letters where she is being a missionary. And so there was a family that was working in, I think in Afghanistan, and while they were in Afghanistan, they're witnessing the people. They're telling people about Jesus. And it was a man and a wife and his young children. And one day the man is, is out driving around and he's doing his missionary thing. And, and while he's out driving around, all of a sudden he gets a call from the U.S. Embassy. And the U.S. Embassy says, you need to come to the embassy right now. And he gets to the U.S. Embassy and, and the, the embassy says, hey, we've been tracking a group of Taliban. And, and we've noticed that that group of Taliban is tracking you. And not only are they tracking you, but we've heard chatter that they're wanting to kill you. And we want you and your family out of the country in 24 hours. You bring your family here, pack up everything you've got. You bring them to the embassy. We're putting you on a plane. We're getting you out of here in 24 hours. The man went back to his home and he he told his wife and said, look, this is what's happening. U.S. wants us out of here. Government says we got to go. They begin to kind of pack up their stuff and. He gets on the phone and he calls the area director of Live Dead and he calls him and he says, hey, this is what the government said. The government said we got to go. The area director says, who called you to Afghanistan, God or the government? The man understood and he hung up the phone. He told his wife, get the stuff back out. We're not leaving. They kept doing ministry. They stayed there a few more months. One of the young men that they had mentored and discipled and brought into their home and just loved on and got saved, the Taliban caught him one day on his way back to his house, murdered him, and left his dead body in the missionary's front yard as a sign saying, you're next. At that point, the government said, we don't care who called you here. We're taking you out. And they forcefully made the family leave the country. You know what they did? They said, fine, we'll leave. They left, came back to the States, packed all their stuff back up, and went to Pakistan. We'll just go another country over. Why? They've got this heart that says, I've got to be sent out. I've got to be sent out. I'm going to tell you something. I'm I'm not even going to read this next verse. But but in Matthew 28, the Bible says that, that, that he has called each and every one of us to go into all the world and make disciples Not tell people about Jesus, but make disciples. If Pastor Nathan were here, his heart is to bring people into the home and put them around the table. And that's what Nathan would tell you. He'd say, say, you need to grab your neighbors. You need to bring them into your home. You need to put them around your table and you need to disciple them. You need to help them grow. You need to help them go from being set free to being set apart to being sent out. I'm not asking you today to go to Afghanistan. I'm not asking you to uproot your family and go to Pakistan. I'm not asking you to go to Honduras. I'm not asking you to go anywhere else but to your friends and family. I'm just asking you to have the heart of the demoniac. Some of us today need to be set free. Some of us need to be set apart. And some of us need to be sent out. Those are the three people that are in the room today. Let me give you a last verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Let me just tell you what that means. 
It means he created you with a purpose. You're not an accident. You didn't come from a blob. You didn't come from an amoeba. God got his hands dirty and he created you for a purpose. Where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Won't you stand up with me this morning?